faith that will change your life is when you're willing to say to someone else, I'm flawed. I have failed in this regard. I've messed up. I'm screwed up. When we confess our sins, it says God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. See, our owning our garbage is the first step in God's cleansing, transformational work. Holding on to a lie is a soul-rotting act. Every time you come around someone that you lied to, there's anxiety because you wonder if today's the day you get caught. Telling the truth is freeing, even though it might require looking at ugly things about yourself. And Pastor Daniel will be showing you that this is what the Apostle John is talking about. God requires honesty if you're going to achieve the reward of a deeper relationship with Him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of 1 John as he continues his message, The Basis of Belief. So, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you're flawed. Look at the other person and say, you're flawed. Go ahead, tell them. Now, all the married couples are like, I've been saying that for 70 years. Now you're finally listening because Fusco tells you. I've been showing you this since the day we got married that you're flawed. But now I want you to look at the person I just say, and I'm flawed too. Yeah. Look at the person on the other side and say, yup. Go ahead, tell them. Yup. As followers of Jesus... We are allowed to be honest with the fact that we are flawed. And brothers and sisters, I am flawed. And I'm sorry for my flaws. Oh, yes. I got to praise God, Daniel. Yes. I was just thinking about this the other day. I got to go to a Blazer game. This was a couple years ago. I, one of our board members took me to a Blazer game. And he was telling this story to my wife, Lynn. And so just about people being flawed. So I went to this Blazer game. I got to pick any game. So it was the Blazers. So I'm a New York sports fan. So I went to see the New York Knicks. Now, up until like two years ago, the Knicks have been horrible for like three decades since John Starks retired. So if you know basketball, it's my team. But sure enough, I went to see it. It was when Carmelo Anthony, who is a great basketball player, when he played for the Blazers, but he used to be on the Knicks. Now, we have a rule in New York that if you don't win a championship, we don't like you. It's just kind of how it is. So sure enough, Carmelo Anthony's out there. And so we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, right Carmelo comes out, like, and playing for the Blazers, Carmelo Anthony. And I'm like, boo! I'm the only one in the whole place booing. And meanwhile, one of our board members is looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, Daniel, stop. And every time he got the ball, I'm like, boo, go back to New York. I'm like, (laughs) and he's looking at me and he's horrified. Now, all of you know that me booing someone at a sports event is totally on brand for my personality, right? Because I'm a troublemaker by nature. I've been mischievous my whole life. Now I just get to be called pastor of trouble. But that's a different, you know. By the time the game is over, in the beginning, Ryan, who's our board member, is like, I'm worried that we're going to get thrown out of there, and they're going to revoke my tickets and everything. He's like, by the end, he's like, but everybody really liked you at the end. It was so weird. But I bring that up because it's like, is anyone shocked that I booed someone at a sporting event? No, you're like, if you know me even a little bit, you're like, yeah, that's what Fusco would do. Why? Because I'm flawed. And 
In our culture, our culture says, if you're flawed, be away from me. Our culture says, right as we find out that you are what the Bible has always said that we are, which is imperfect people, then we want to create distance. But that's actually not how God handles this. Because God says, you're flawed, but your flaws are not repulsive to me. The good news of Jesus is that God saw humanity and creation as flawed and said, I'm going to go enter it to save it. I'm not going to run from it. I'm going to run towards it. I'm not going to reject it. I am going to incarnate myself into it to be able to buy it back. And so we have a tendency to think, I am flawed, so this is a big problem. And God says, actually, it's in the midst of your flaws that I can do my best work. Why? Because God is light. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now listen to a little bit more on this verse. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he's saying, listen, don't deceive yourself. Be honest. You're flawed. And then verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that. See, the beauty of a faith that will change your life is when you're willing to say to someone else, I'm flawed. I have failed in this regard. I've messed up. I'm screwed up. When we confess our sins, it says God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. See, our owning our garbage is the first step in God's cleansing, transformational work. So just as you said to each other, hey, like I'm flawed, I want you later to make sure you put your phone and text all your exes and be like, hey, I'm so sorry, I'm flawed. <laughs> You're flawed too? <laughs> I'm only half kidding, okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, what? But it doesn't end with just God being light. I want you to turn your Bibles about one page over. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. 1 John 4, verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the second thing we learn about God is that God is what? God is love. Get it right there in verse 8. God is love. Now, what I love so much about this is the Holy Spirit inspired the apostle John in verses 7 to 11, to say the words love over and over and over again. Notice verse 7 begins with the word what? Beloved. Verse 11 begins with the word what? Beloved. And I think this is very, very powerful because, as I said, our culture says that when your flaws become apparent, then we reject you. 
But now, over and over and over again, we are called beloved by God. Pastor Gabe, when he was preaching, he brought up J. Vernon McGee. How many of you ever listened to the Bible bus with Dr. J. Vernon McGee? I always think with Dr. J. Vernon McGee, he's got that great Texan accent where he'd say, my dearly beloved. I can't speak Texas, but I can eat Texas barbecue. Can I get an amen? That's, that's all the Texas I got in me. If you see me in a hat, run. You know what I mean? But straight up, I love that idea that even though we are flawed, God calls us his beloved. And that reality of what Jesus has done for us is absolutely transformational. Because you, my friends, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how jacked up your life has been, no matter how many mistakes you've made, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God calls you beloved. I want you to the person next to you to say, you're beloved. Go tell them. I want you to tell them again. Go tell them again. Say, 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 you're beloved. Now I want you to look back at them and say, I know. It's true. My friends, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ says, for God so what? Love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You're beloved of God. Now, when it says that God is love, it's important to make sure that we remind everyone that it does not say that love is God. Now, the reason I need to bring that up is, is because about 50 years ago, John Lennon and Paul McCartney told all you hippies that all you need is love. And you were all hammered and you didn't have discernment and you just bought that thing, hook, line, and sinker. And now we live in a day and age where people are like, love is love. And I mean to tell you, no. Love is defined by who God is, and God is love. Everything that goes for love is not love, period. Okay? And I realized I just like stomped all over a cultural thing here, but I'm okay with it in Jesus' name. Because when you believe that love is love, you have to realize that that word has meaning. In the Bible, there's at least four words for love. In the Greek language, there's even more. You have like eros, which we get our idea of erotic love or, or sensual love. You have the word phileo, which is more like brotherly love or kind of friendly love. There's the word storge, which means familial love. And then there's the word that's used here over and over and over again, the word agape, which literally means love that is self-sacrificial. Love that is giving of itself for the blessings and betterment of others. So listen, love is not God. So when you see those signs that say love is love, that means that is, you couldn't even begin to fathom how that has no meaning. In the same way that people say we believe in science, it means that we are believing in our version of science as a religion. You know that, right? I'm just stomping all over everything right now. I'm just like shooting it straight. I don't want to get off on a science tangent. Science is man's attempt to describe what God has done. But when science rolls itself out there as like, we just thought of this yesterday and this is the only truth, that is not science. Because science by nature is something that you can observe and you can verify over time. So science that is developed in two months is not science. It is religion. And the only religion you should believe in is Jesus who went out of the grave. Because if you can find his grave, then he was not dead. Does that make sense? But it does not say love is God. 
It says that God is love. And what this actually means is that God as to God's nature is loving. Really, all of God's actions are loving actions. That's what this means. That all that God does, all of the actions of God show to us the love of God. Now, I realize that when I say God is love, and I say that all of God's actions are loving actions, right away, there's always people for real reasons who say, that is not true, Fusco, because you do not know my story. Now, listen, I realize that for some of you, you have experienced tremendously horrible trauma. Trauma with a big T. In a fallen world, all of us experience like traumas with a little T. Like you went for the spelling bee, you stumbled over the Latin root of the word, and you mixed it up, and you got second place in the spelling bee, and that broke your heart. And that's real. And that's a, I'm so sorry, you know, but... Compared to other traumas, that's like a small T trauma. Does that make sense? Like you went out for the basketball team, you didn't make the team, or you did make the team and you sat the bench and it broke your heart and you were going to be in the NBA and now you're not. And I get all that. But like life's painful. I'm not trying to minimize the little things, but I realize there's also trauma with a big T. Like there's stuff that goes on that's just so horrible that you're just like, it's unbelievable that that could happen to somebody. And for people who've experienced that trauma with a big T, they're like, well, listen, God may be loving, but how could God love me if this is my experience? And that's a very common question that people have. And what I want to tell you is this. This is not meant to minimize the trauma with the big T, but listen to what he says. Because remember, he says that God in all of his actions is loving. Listen to what he says here. Verse 9 of 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, what this is saying is this. If you doubt that God loves you because of your experiences, however horrific they may be, that is a lie because God's love is portrayed most clearly in the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, what we learn there is that God proactively, unilaterally, and preemptively sent his son into the world. And that singular act culminating in Jesus' death and resurrection on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, that takes God's love and puts it on display. And I'm here to tell you, no matter if your traumas are big T's or little T's, if you ever doubt that God loves you with the eyes of faith, you need to look to the cross of Jesus Christ because in this, the love of God was manifested towards us. It doesn't say in this, the love of God was manifested, that we don't have any problems or things always go the way we want them to. No, God's love is shown to us in God's sending of Jesus to die and to be resurrected from the grave. What the enemy does is he takes all of the brokenness of a broken world and he tries to make a case that God isn't loving. And there's enough meat on that bone, so to speak, that we can believe that. You're like, yeah, obviously, how could this happen? And then God sends Jesus. And in the person and work of Jesus, if we are willing to see it for what the Bible says that it is, now it trumps everything else. Because although the circumstances I experienced or you experienced were horrible, 
God sent his son to die on a cross for my sins. See, in a world that says it's flawed, I can't be loved. The good news of the Bible teaches I am flawed, but God called me beloved, and I know that I am because of Jesus. Listen to what John says a couple verses later. This is 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. See, because God is love, because God's actions are loving actions, we are called then to respond to a God of love by in turn being loving to one another. Look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. My friends, I believe that the battleground for the witness of Jesus in this generation is not how frustrated we get with people who we disagree with, but how much we can love others the way that we've been loved. I believe right now there is a battle going on for the heart and the soul of the people of God because there's lots of great, and pastors who I love and respect, who I've learned from, they're making their ministry on jumping up and down on the Bible and jumping up and down on the heads of people in their sermons that Jesus died and rose again for. We live in a day and age where people, like, I get, I hear this all the time. People are like, Dan, I want you to come down on that thing, Pastor Daniel. I'm like, the only thing I'm coming down on is that Jesus came down on a rescue mission. Because Jesus doesn't reject you because you have failed. Jesus draws near because you have failed. Now, it doesn't mean that we continue failing forever. The entry point for the good news of the gospel is not that I have it together. The good news is that God loved me. When I was a drug addict, God loved me. God doesn't love me more now than I'm a pastor. It's God's love that found me as a drug addict, that redeemed me, that led me on. God's love for me has never changed, not because I became a pastor or I lead a church, none of that. God's love for me has always been exactly the same. The only difference is is my understanding of that love and my desire to share that love with other people. But his love has never changed. And somehow... People have begun to believe that if everyone realizes that we're angry at them, that that's going to be good for the gospel. It could build a great church because you have a bunch of people who are angry that the world is changing, and then the pastor's all angry with everything, and everything's all crazy, and then they're all together all crazy. But the thing is, is God is love, and if God loved us, what should we do to one another? Love one another. I mean, can it be any more clear in the Bible? My brothers and sisters, listen, here's the question. How are you doing loving people? (laughs) I just threw the gauntlet down in crossroads. And not just the people you like, not just the people who sit in your section of the church who you all laugh together and you drink your coffee after church and you go get some Twinkies. You know, for the fast, I'm doing a Twinkie-only fast. It's called the new Daniel fast. Did you guys know that? (laughs) The old Daniel fast, I eat vegetables and water. The new Daniel fast, I just eat Twinkies every meal. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Just... I'm just kidding. That's not really my fast, but it should be. 
But here's the deal. Your gauge for how Jesus is transforming your life is how well you're loving the very people who you disagree with the most. The reason I know that is because the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gauge of God being love and all of his actions being loving is that he sent Jesus to be the propitiation, the mercy seat. That's what that word literally means for our sins. We know God is loving by how he treated the rebels, how he treated his enemies, not how he treated the people who thought they were the most like him. And then the same is true for us. I know how God, by his spirit, is transforming me by seeing how I'm doing loving people who don't love me, people who are angry at me, people who vehemently disagree with me. And brothers and sisters, by this, people will know we are his disciples by the what? The love that we have one for another. And so listen, thank God that he doesn't ask us to love our enemies in our own strength. Thank God, right? It's like, you're like, good luck. No, no, we're all going to fail at that. But he has given us his spirit to empower us and to birth that love in us. So we see God is love. We've seen that God is light. And we have one more step to take. So look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 to 13. Apostle John says this. And this is the testimony that God has given us. Eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son does not have life. These things I have written to you, that you may believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. So here we see that God is what? God is life. You like that, right? God is light. God is love. God is life. I love this. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Now, I have a list of scriptures here in my notes, all these different places where Jesus talked about this, like John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26 at the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus said to Martha, Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ and the son of God who has come into the world. John's gospel begins in verse four of John one. In him was life and that life was the light of men. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the what? And the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 says that our life is what? Hidden in Christ. Jesus is Pastor Daniel said some things that might have been hard to hear, especially if your life hasn't been a peaches and cream kind of life. Everyone has difficulties of one sort or another. The point Pastor Daniel made was that despite all of the crud that you might have gone through, God still loved you enough to send Jesus to pay for your sins and offer you a life you couldn't have imagined. His mercy and grace can make your life more than you thought possible. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. 
But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life, and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more from 1 John as he begins his teaching, The Blessing of Belief. You'll be introduced to the biblical concept of joy. Pastor Daniel will show how this idea of joy is superior to the worldly concept of happiness. You'll learn how embedding this idea of joy into your life can help get you through all of the things life's going to throw at you, as well as ease the memories from your past. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Beyond Belief. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.